Two men on a mission to change the face of the organ world. Driven by their passion for the king of instruments, these two seek to share their love of the pipe organ with as many people as possible. Through their own arrangements of popular film, TV, and video game music, our hosts use their unconventional approaches to inspire pipe organ enthusiasts, both young and old, and to bring new audiences to this magnificent instrument. Together with you, they will journey through the fascinating world of the pipe organ. Always eager and never afraid to break with tradition, Rob Labinsky and Johnny Salimovich are Organ Mavericks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Organ Mavericks podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Slamovich. And I'm your other host, Rob Lubinsky. This is episode six of the Organ Mavericks in History miniseries and overall episode 21. And in this episode, we will be talking about none other than Cameron Carpenter, who he he refers to himself as the machine operator slash musical maverick, and also has been getting a uh, uh, broad acclaim from uh, from uh, the press. A few examples from here, like from the Los Angeles Times, and I quote: "Carpenter is one of the rare musicians who changes the game of his instrument." He is a smasher of cultural and classical music taboos. He is technically the most accomplished organist I have ever witnessed, and most important of all, the most musical. From the New York Times, and I quote, Extravagantly talented, the audience's response was raucous. Everything he touches turns fantastical and memorable. And from the New Yorker, and I quote, A young superstar, flamboyant presentation goes hand in hand with unquestioned virtuosity from Berliner Zeitung and I quote he is a true pioneering musician and a classic by the book virtuoso and again also on Monday Carpenter played in the Philharmonie and what he did there was so disconcerting that it could probably only be compared to what Liszt must have evoked 170 years ago and last but not least, also from the, the Zeit, and I quote, a fallen angel who gives the organ back its sin. <laughs> and all of these quotes that I am reading to you from now are from Cameron Carpenter's own website. And uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot about Cameron Carpenter that uh, <laughs> a lot of people do have their um, opinions about him, whether they be positive <laughs> or negative. That, that is for sure. So with this episode, we're really kind of bringing everything that we've done in this little series of Organ Mavericks um, basically full circle. Um, Carpenter is a master performer of the works of Bach, who is, of course, who we started with. Um, and really, he also, um, his, his style in terms of how he performs 
both in playing and in how he, you know, dresses and interacts with audiences and things like that, um, is very reminiscent of Virgil Fox, who we talked about in depth in a previous episode. And so he kind of really brings everything together. And I thought this is a it's a very fitting way to kind of close out this this series with a with a modern day maverick. Mm -hmm. Indeed, indeed. Before we get started, a reminder for you listeners that we do have the source that uh, you'll find the sources to what we're using in the episode description. So you can uh, so you can uh, look them up for so you can look up the sources for yourself or even follow along with us as we go through them. And so we're going to start off with uh, Cameron Carpenter's uh, uh, bio and biography. I will be using uh, the Wikipedia article and also his press bio on his website since both sources uh, do see some things a little bit differently. So I'll first start off with his press bio here, which uh, starts off with, with his exceptional musicality, sheer endless technical ability, and pioneering spirit. The extraordinary organist Cameron Carpenter is already leaving his mark on recent music history. Ever since the completion of his own instrument, the International Touring Organ, in 2014, Cameron defies initial skepticism towards his digital instrument and established the ITO, Schorfer International Touring Organ, on the world's most prestigious stages. By now, he almost exclusively performs on the ITO, be it in recital or concerto appearances. His tailor-made instrument, based on Carpenter's own plans, allows him to perform at almost any location worldwide. Thus far, he has taken it on tour to Australia, New Zealand, Russia, and Asia, in addition to numerous appearances around Europe and the US, and also Canada as well. He did stop by at Toronto one time back in 2016, just a quick disclaimer there. Cameron's latest album, Rachmaninoff and Poulenc, is a live recording with the Berlin Concerthaus Orchestra released in April 2019 on Sony Classical. It is the follow-up of All You Need Is Bach, which topped the Billboard Classical charts at number one in the USA and on the European charts upon its release in spring 2016. Recent highlights include recitals with the Los Angeles Philharmonic, the Lucerne Festival, Phil Philharmonie Cologne, Fest Spielhaus Baden-Baden, Philharmonie Luxembourg, and his debut at the Cité de la Musique, Paris. Core of Carpenter's repertoire in the current season will be the Johann Sebastian Bach's Goldberg variations, as well as his transcription of Howard Hansen's Symphony No. 2 Romantic. Born in 1981 in Pennsylvania, USA, Carpenter performed G.S. Bach Well-Tempered Clavier for the first time when he was 11 and became a member of the American Boy Choir School in 1992. Besides his mentor Beth Eder, John Bertolot, and James Lytton taught him. At the North Carolina School of Arts, he studied composition and organ with John E. Michener. Carpenter transcribed more than 100 works for organ, amongst others, Mahler's Symphony No. 5. He composed his first own works during his studies at Juilliard School in New York, from 2000 to 2006, where, at the same time, he also had piano lessons with Miles Fusco. In 2011, his concerto for organ and orchestra, The Scandal, was premiered by D. Dusch Kammerphilharmonie Berman at the Philharmonie Cologne. In 2012, 
He received the Leonard Bernstein Award of the Schleswig-Holstein Music Festival and has been artist in residence of Concert House Berlin in the 2017-2018 season. Now that is all that is uh, said on his press bio here. Now let's see what is said here according to Wikipedia. So according to Wikipedia here, starting from the beginning, Taylor Cameron Carpenter, born in 1981, is an American organist. In 2009, he became the first organist to ever be nominated for a Grammy Award for his solo album Revolutionary. He designed and commissioned the ITO, International Touring Organ, a one-of-a-kind, customized, full-scale portable organ, sonally tailorable to any acoustic environment. Those are in quotes. Which took 10 years and cost 2 million US dollars, I presume, to build. Since its premiere in March 2014, he no longer has to learn a new instrument for every performance, which he characterized as maddening. And he now tours worldwide to venues that have never had an organ. The story of the ITO is subject of the 2015 documentary, The Sound of My Life. So I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of an aside right there. We can go into this more later. Um, I, I have to disagree with his characterization of having to learn a new instrument every time he performed. That is one of my favorite things about going and performing in new places is getting to learn a new instrument. Um, but I do certainly appreciate that he can take the instrument places where there's never been one before. So, mm-hmm. Yes, and the example when I mentioned about uh, Toronto, he did happen to visit the Kerner Hall uh, located in Toronto, which the Kerner Hall is a concert hall of sorts. Well, it pretty much is a concert hall. I don't remember how big it is in scale, but it is a concert hall that does not have its own organ. And thus, uh, uh, Cameron Carpenter did happen to perform over there at the Kerner Hall in Toronto back in 2016, and uh, I don't know how I happened to miss this concert back then, but who knows? <clears throat> who knows? Maybe I could uh, see one of his concerts again in the future, but let's... Uh... Yes, and adding to what uh, you said there earlier, uh, Rob, about you disagreeing with uh, him there, I can also understand from... Uh, uh, or empathize with uh, Cameron here that if uh, Cameron does happen to like uh, you know consistency with uh, playing a particular instrument uh, over a long period of time that can be a very good reason why he may have the ito in the first place so then things are very consistent with him when he goes on tours that is understandable there if it's you know time consuming for him to learn different instruments of course that is understandable though at the same time as well i can also agree with you as well too rob that it can be also fun to you know learn to play the different organs as well oh i mean i i absolutely understand you know his his reasoning for it um and i certainly see the benefit of it i mean i've done concerts where i get there and sit down at the organ and find i can't play a piece because i can't configure the instrument in the same way i do my my home organ um so you know to not have to worry about hey can i play this piece um you know is definitely is definitely a nice thing Mm -hmm. indeed all right, so let's uh, continue. Let's continue on. Um, on the press bio, I did happen to uh, mention that uh, one of the record labels that uh, Cameron is uh, with is with Sony Classical, though apparently he was also with Tell Arc and C Music DVD. Though Sony Classical is uh, the is the one that stands out the most. 
the record label he uh, was with or is still with to this day. And so moving on to the biography, according to Wikipedia here, Carpenter has bachelor's and master's degrees from the Juilliard School in New York, having studied with Jerry Hancock, John Weaver, and Paul Jacobs. Though I he know is Paul no- Jacobs. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I Paul Jacobs is from Pittsburgh. I and he um was he's not that much older than me, so I've I've met him several times in the course of my life. <laughs> oh nice. Wait a minute, uh I didn't really catch what you said. So you basically know who Paul Jacobs is in person? Yes. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, I've I've met him number a number of times. He he and I are both from Pittsburgh. Oh wow. That's cool. Yeah. Neat. Okay, continuing on. Though he is not religious, Carpenter was from 2008 to 2009 the the artist-in-residence at Middle Collegiate Church in New York's East Village, where he played a four-manual electronic organ that he designed for the broad-ranging music of that church. Carpenter ended his residency in July 2009. Now moving on to the recordings here. Early in 2008, Telarc signed Carpenter to an exclusive five-album recording contract. His Telarc debut item, Revolutionary, was recorded as a CD and DVD at Trinity Church Wall Street in New York City and released September 23 of 2008. The title comes from Carpenter's transcription of Chopin's Revolutionary Etude. The album made Carpenter the first organist ever to receive a Grammy nomination in the category Best Solo Instrumental Performance, without orchestra, for a solo album. His first commercial album was a 2006 CD-slash-DVD Pictures at an Exhibition on C-Music DVD. It includes his arrangement of the programmatic piano work by Modest Mussorgsky and his own improv... Improvisatory. Improvisatory. <laughs> that is such a complex <laughs> word. Tongue twisters. <laughs> yeah, that is a tongue twister. Yeah, I meant to say that. Improvisatory. Improvisatory. My goodness. Okay. And his own improvisatory New York City sessions. Visuals for the Mussorgsky were created by Marshall Jaeger and his... What the heck is that? Kaleidoplex. That is a new word for me. Wow. Kaleidoplex. Oh, man. Kaleidoplex. And his Kaleidoplex. The recording was made at Trinity Church, New York. An early, in quotations, recording made in 2005 and financed by the Allen Organ Company was titled Notes from the Underground. This recording was a highly unusual project for Allen, as Carpenter was given near-complete artistic control of the album, selection of the, of the program, and even oversight of graphic design, featuring locations shot of Carpenter at famous New York City graffiti sites. This album was not reissued by Allen and is now a rarity. <laughs> oh man, that is new to me. I That's... I'm, I'm guessing that Allen probably does not produce a lot of CDs. <laughs> To, to give someone almost full artistic control, that 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 seems a very surprising move to me. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty surprising <laughs> to me. And so uh, I can also understand how Cameron Cameron then uh, was definitely a was definitely a maverick, as he must have uh, shocked Alan with uh, what he <laughs> with what Cameron wanted to do, which is pretty bold of him. 
Alright, so on June 1st, 2010, Telarc issued in the US a two-disc set with a CD carrying a J.S. Bach recital that has been that had been recorded live at a recital he played in the Church of St. Mary the Virgin in New York City. On August 26, 2014, Sony issued the DVD If You Could Read My Mind, containing performances and commentary by Carpenter recorded on an electronic touring organ. And now moving on to the work part. Carpenter has been both criticized by some and praised by others for his unorthodox interpretations of the standard organ repertoire. Registrations rarely followed those suggested by the composer, and Carpenter often takes dramatic liberties in articulation. Carpenter is also noted for his advocacy of the digital organ, particularly development of a touring electronic organ, citing factors such as the obstacles of the pipe organ imposes on the ability of a traveling performer to enjoy an ongoing relationship with a single instrument in the same manner as many other instrumentalists. Despite this, he frequently performs on pipe organs, often garnering major exposure for the instrument. As we talk about Cameron's work, one of the things that um, definitely bears mentioning here is the arranging work that he does. Obviously, this is something that... Um, Johnny and I have a lot of experience with in in our own personal lives, and so you know it's really kind of cool to see that somebody else is out there, um, you know, doing doing similar kinds of things. Um, and um, as I was going through some different interviews that he's done, um, you know, he's done he's done arrangements of everything from you know um, classical music to pop music to film music. Um, you know, and even things he's composed himself. Um, and so, you know, just such a, such a wide variety of styles and genres and eras that he pulls from. Um, well, I guess one of his big projects is this. He's working on um, an arrangement of the um, Rhapsody on a Theme of Paganini by uh, Sergei Rachmaninoff, a Russian composer. Um, and so Cameron's actually done a little write-up of the, the work that he's doing on this arrangement. So we thought I thought I would um, share a little bit from, from his website in, in Cameron's own words. So he says, Rachmaninoff's Rhapsody on a Theme of Paganini, originally for piano and orchestra, is scarcely the most obvious work to adapt for organ. My initial thought was simply that I loved and wanted to play this work. The question then became how, by any means necessary, I could get my hands on this music. As with many, even most non-organ works, this required the creation of a detailed transcription founded on study of the original. Though the orchestral part is unchanged, what I play is not so much an arrangement as a recomposition for organ guided by the original of the piano part. You have to be willing to remake a work in your own image, and I don't see that a defense is required. The moment you walk on stage to perform standard repertoire in a way which differs in instrumentation from the original, you're obviously declared yourself willing to question the composer's intentions. Of course, this can be a way of honoring a great work. All transcriptions require this in some way. Given the rapid, glittering fingerwork that Rachmaninoff demands in the piano original, the International Touring Organ's exceptional sound definition is crucial. My organ is able to provide unprecedented clarity and speed of articulation. This clarity often missing from many of the electric pipe organs of today. Uh, sorry, uh, eclectic. That's the word. Oh, eclectic. Yeah. You can <laughs> that repeat makes, that sentence. That makes, that makes more sense than electric. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Uh, this clarity often missing from many of the eclectic pipe organs of today, though, ironically, much the destruction of romantic organs by the Orgelbewegung, I'm going to assume that's how that's pronounced, was justified by a supposed lack of clarity. What is needed is an organ that's both lushly hyper-expressive and infinitely subtle in shading and blending, yet unmistakably clear in counterpoint. That's a mouthful of a sentence. Oh, man. <laughs> and, that's, and that's a lot to ask of an instrument. Yeah, it is. Um, anyway, he goes on to say, It was an honor to record this work with Maestro Christoph Eisenbach in the Concerthaus Orchestra Berlin following my residency at Concerthaus Berlin in 2017-2018. So, um, very, very cool to, to look at the work um, that he does. And, and, I, and I have to say, his, his philosophy of arranging... Um, a piece really kind of mirrors my own philosophy in arrangement. In arrangement? Arrangement? <laughs> <laughs> it's late. My pronunciation goes out the window. Um, but, um, you know, the idea of just, you know, loving a work so much that you want to be able to play it, you know, and if you don't play the 72-piece symphony orchestra by yourself, <laughs> there's only so much you can do. Um, you know, and, and, and I totally agree. You know, I, I think of, I think of arrangements as a way of honoring, you know, the intent of the original, um, you know, say you're improving upon it, just saying, you know, this is how much you appreciate it, that you want, you want other audiences to be able to appreciate it as well. Indeed. All right. So now moving on to, uh, talk a little bit more about, uh, Cameron's, uh, international touring organ or ITO. According to uh, Cameron on his website, from here he says, Following a massive developmental effort spanning over a decade, Cameron Carpenter fulfilled his lifelong dream of creating a world-class mobile or mobile digitized organ. The International Touring Organ, or ITO, built by Marshall and Ogletree LLC, founded in Needham, Massachusetts, as their Opus 8, basically that is their 8th instrument that the builder has produced, was de or built, was debuted in Lincoln Center and the Vienna Concert House in 2014, as is now virtually the exclusive organ on which Carpenter performs. The organ follows the musical and design influences of the American municipal pipe organs of about 19... <laughs> of about 1895 to 1950. Organs built to support a vast range of classical and popular playing styles in concert halls, theaters, and other public venues. The basis of the design is a standard American classic architecture featuring robust principle and reed courses with mixtures and mutations in the great, positive, and main pedal. Complete choruses of each tonal daily in a distant chambered swell and eight-foot solo with tuba. Into this structure is inserted the fifth manual bombard division, a chorus of seven powerful unit registers from various American theater organs, 12 gentler voices from the same tradition, plus an organ-wide string chorus, comprises the accompaniment division. The coloristic orchestral pedal is unified from across the organ. The organ utilizes a unique, purpose-built mainframe computer system and a 72-channel touring sound system. The organ travels by air, sea, and truck 
and can be installed at a concert venue in about three to five hours by its crew. And uh, there, and at the bottom of uh, that uh, part, they even have a link uh, that opens up to a video showing a time lapse of how they install it or yeah install it in different venues. That's impressive that they can install that in three to five hours. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. They <laughs> yeah. Cameron and uh, Cameron and Marshall Augertree must have uh, planned in advance as to you know how opt how optimal the inst- installation you know will be and the such. And I believe that I read somewhere that it's not just the organ, but he actually brings the entire speaker system uh-huh. for the instrument. Yes. Um. You know, rather yep. than having to plug into whatever you know local um sound system is there he basically can run his own and then um something something that we read earlier was essentially you know that he could tailor um the output to any to any hall um that he's performing in Mm -hmm. you know for the optimal sound yes indeed as with uh that uh really uh well I think it's uh, pretty much uh, known across uh, the organ world uh, community not really outside of the organ world which is uh the um the room or wherever the organ is installed is uh one of the most important stops of the organ or somewhere around that i don't remember the exact quote the room is uh, the most important stop of the organ or oh. something like that <laughs> yes i don't think i've ever heard that before but it's completely true <laughs> oh yeah yes and i've actually been told that by uh a few uh, dealers of uh, digital organs uh, uh, near near me and the such. They've been mentioning uh, that quote to me, which uh, definitely does make sense. Though there was one thing that was surprising to me as well. <clears throat> there was one thing that was uh, surprising to me as well that uh, even though as of today, Car- uh, Cameron still has his ITO, he still uses it to this day. This uh, kind of a this kind of a thing that I've uh, found out. A few months ago, as of uh, the time of this uh, recording, on uh, on the 26th of June, 2020, uh, Viscount Instruments, yeah, none other than them, they they posted uh, some news uh, saying that uh, they managed to collaborate with uh, Cameron on... Uh, <clears throat> I'll just read uh, their article here real quick. I'll, you will also find the article on the episode notes. Viscount is proud to announce her cooperation with the great organist Cameron Carpenter. We are proud that Cameron will feature our overture organ on the second phase of his mobile organ truck, touring Germany from June 26th to July 9th, which as of today has that those dates have already passed, of course. The organ will be heard in five Albach concerts each day in nine German cities, continuing his widely acclaimed Corona tour in Berlin Earlier this year, Cameron will use the uh, Viscount Overture to bring the music of J.S. Bach through the windows and courtyards of hospitals, care homes, homeless and refugee centers, and many public and many large public squares through the collaboration of the German Organization of Community Foundations. The bu- business, uh, the uh, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> that's a, that's too much for me to say. It'll be on there anyway. <laughs> Viscount stands in solidarity with Cameron Carpenter, organists, organ fans, and the many high-risk and otherwise immobilized listeners for whom cultural life has been fortunately disrupted during this uh, time. And at the bottom of the 
article uh, Viscount uh, did happen to uh, record uh, record a, a video of uh, Cameron uh, of Cameron uh, talking about uh, his collaboration with Viscount of this second phase of the tour, and uh, I found that pretty uh, surprising. Uh, that I found that personally uh, surprising when I heard for the first time that uh, Cameron actually tour actually went on a tour with a Viscount instrument. Despite uh, Cameron playing uh, several other organs, whether they be from Allen, uh, Rogers, and of course his uh, ITO organ, though this was surprising to me that he d did happen to collaborate with Viscount on uh, this. And I'm not going to lie, this uh, spiked up my interest in uh, Viscount a bit more, especially since I have been seeing some other artists who've uh, who actually have who do have their who do have. Uh, affiliation with a uh, Viscount as well. Dr. Carol Williams comes to mind, but that will be, that will probably be for another time, or I just wanted to say that real quick, as Cameron's not the only one who's been collaborating with a uh, Viscount here, but I just uh, wanted to comment on that, real uh, comment on that, because this, this one was a surprising uh, fact for me, that uh, they managed to collaborate, and it looks like all things went well. And the such. Would you have anything to comment on this? Yeah, uh, just that that's that's a it's a really cool thing that they were able to put that together. Um, yes, you know, making <laughs> making the best of a a bad situation that we are in here in 2020. <laughs> oh yes, for sure. And in the in the in the video is well, um, we're not going to play it on here, but he did mention in the. He actually did mention in the video that uh, since the ITO would have been a little bit too cl uh, clumbersome or a little bit too uh, big to manage when on a mobile tour, he mentioned that was one of the reasons why he decided to collaborate with Viscount to you know make uh, the second phase of his uh, tours happen by collaborating with Viscount and leaving his ITO in the uh, in the. Uh, uh, in a storage uh, someplace. I forgot specifically what he said. But he didn't completely let go of his ITO. I'm just <laughs> making that clear. He's still using it to this uh, date. But it was just for this specific uh, one that he collaborated with Viscount. And uh, I guess that's uh, actually pretty good That's pretty good publicity for Viscount there. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of figured that it was probably a case of the, the Viscount or much easier to move around. Um and it sounds like from like some of the locations that they were talking about him performing, um, I, 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 I gather from what I have read about his, his ITO that it um, needs a fairly decent size space. <laughs> um, and it sounds yep. like there was limited space, so this was this was an opportunity to, to have something that's a little bit more mobile, um, you know, and yeah, and to be able to do this. So Yes, yeah, indeed. Very cool. And yeah, it is a very cool thing that uh, Cameron was able to do this with uh, with Viscount as well, and definitely good and definitely a uh, pretty darn good publicity for Viscount there too. So we've talked about this this kind of unique idea of him, you know, building his own instrument, um, you know, that he can take with him, um, you know, so that he doesn't have to learn, you know, a new organ every time he does goes to perform a concert, and that you know that is very very reflective of I think his style as um, as a performer. Um, so I was reading some some different things, some reviews of his performances, some interviews that he gave. 
um, you know, he, um, he, he, he very much embraces this philosophy of personal interpretation of music. You know, I know we've talked in the past on this podcast about the idea of performance practice and, you know, performing something the way that it was originally intended to be performing or that it was originally wrote, you know, versus, you know, interpreting it in your own way and bringing, you know, your own um, style to to a piece. And so, like, he, so he, he does this through, through lots of different things, um, you know, Creative registrations, you know, things that, you know, we talk about Bach a lot, and I think that's that's always a good um, place to come back. You know, the, the instruments that Bach had played on would have had a very specific set of stops. Um, and um, it's been a while since I've listened to any of Cameron's performances, but I know that he... Um, really kind of pushes pushes the limits of what you can do with registering in Bach. And I, I, I was always very impressed by what he was able to do um, and just the different sounds that he made work so well in Bach. One of the other things, um, you know, that he is um, very inventive with is his um, his articulations. Um, you know, there are, there are certain kind of... Um, performance practice rules and and this goes to this speaks not only to um you know like like traditional performance practice but also to like generally how you would you know play um types of different types of music from different eras um and he you know again just kind of brings his own inventiveness his own style to it you know doesn't really pay attention to hey this is how i'm supposed to play it um you know, kind of this idea of, okay, yes, that's how I'm supposed to play it, but I think it should be played this way. And as, as, as I mentioned before, you know, just such a, you know, such a broad range of things that he plays. He plays classical music, but he plays film music. He plays pop songs, um, you know, really kind of harkening back to what Virgil Fox did, because Virgil Fox did a ton of arranging of things, um, you know, this idea of, you know, you know, giving people music that they, they resonate with and that they recognize, you know. I, I think the vast majority of people who go to an organ concert are people who expect to hear classical music. And so to be able to go to people who've never heard an organ concert and say, hey, come here, insert your favorite band here, um, you know, would be an, would be an opening to get someone to come and be like, oh, this could be interesting. I'll go check that out. And then you add some classical music onto the program. And it's like, oh, wait, that's classical music. That's really cool. Um, and so I, I, I really love that approach, you know, to to performing and doing concerts and things like that. I'm trying to remember if we talked about this with Virgil Fox, but in terms of like um, his style of dress, it's it's a very um, flamboyant style. Um, one of the uh, one of the interviews I was reading or reviews. Um, it was described him, um, as a, as a throwback to 19th century virtuosos like, um, Franz Liszt and Paganini. Um, and I think you could, um, I think you could certainly include Virgil Fox in there, who was definitely a virtuoso and definitely very, um, showy in more than just his playing. <laughs> yes. And, uh, Cameron, uh, uh, in the early, uh, 2010s as well, I remember in maybe... For most of the 2010s decade, actually, uh, I have happened to, I did happen to see, and maybe even earlier than that, that's uh, 
Cameron was dressing up in a rather a flamboyant uh, fashion as well, and even had different hairstyles. Too, <laughs> I remember, which, I I remember yeah. a dyed mohawk. <laughs> oh yeah, that too, and he even caught the attention of uh, Ethan Klein of H three H three Productions, uh, who Ethan Klein is or uh, Ethan Klein is uh, the person who is knows the YouTube channel H three H three. He actually did a video uh, about Cameron Carpenter commenting uh, um, commenting on his uh, his flamboyant uh, style, his music, and I forgot what else he was commenting about uh, him as well. But it it was pretty neat to me that he caught the attention of a uh, uh, one of the one of the respected uh, YouTubers back then <clears throat> as well as such. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. He's he definitely definitely has a style all his own. <laughs> Indeed. Um, one of the things I read in an interview he did, he was talking about um, he he wants to break the organ away from quote stuffy traditional stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I don't think I could agree with that anymore. <laughs> um, I, that's you know that's that's kind of been my um my um. I don't know if I want to say my mantra, my rallying cry, you know, over the past few years, you know, it's yes. like the organ or organ music needs to not change, but it kind of needs to catch up to the times. <laughs> uh, yes, pretty much. While uh, the classical repertoire does have its purpose, at the same time, uh, we well, can already see that Cameron Cameron is already doing his part as long as uh, Rob and I with adapting the organ to the current times and even preparing uh preparing it for future generations to uh continue enjoying the organ for years to come by making the necessary steps to keep the organ as relevant as possible cuz someone even someone even made a really good uh uh comment or quote I don't remember where this person mentioned it uh but I do remember seeing someone I don't remember who this someone is or where I found it, but I do vividly remember what this person said. Is that, um, was that, uh, Bach, Bach alone can't save the organ. There's a lot more <laughs> to be done than just playing Bach music. Yep. And to some extent, I can agree with what this person is uh, saying. Actually, I remember, I now remember where he, this person was commenting uh, on that. It was, uh, it was, uh, where I was, uh, sharing, uh, my, uh, my Arthur theme song for the uh, organ on one of the Facebook groups. Someone was uh, kind of, uh, there was a person uh, on that group. I'm not, I don't remember who this person is, so I can't really call this person out directly anyway. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> this person was uh, was skeptical of uh, what I was producing, that uh, somehow the Arthur theme song was somehow not really fitting on the organ, while I strongly disagree with that person. Someone else replied back to his comment saying Bach alone can't re- can't uh, save the organ <laughs> and other other things like adapting the organ to current and future times is much needed and uh, yeah I can't agree more than I can't agree more with uh, his uh, def- with uh, that guy's defense that Bach alone can't save the organ yep. but uh, what would uh, uh, how would you respond to that how would I respond to what uh, that defense, or would you agree with that? Oh, or? I totally agree with that, yeah. Oh, okay, <laughs> cool, cool. Nice, good, good. All right, then. 
And so, Mavericks, that about wraps it up for this episode. Though before we before we finish, Rob and I do need to uh, make an announcement right here and right now that uh, this may or may not be the very last episode of this podcast. The reason why is, understandably, Rob and I have been uh, getting a little burnt out with producing uh, podcast episodes, and there are other things that we want to focus on outside of the podcast. And another reason why is that we've been kind of running out of running out of ideas, and uh, even when trying to you know get guests for our podcast, which is a little hard for us to do, which is under which is understandable. And uh, because of this, Rob and I have agreed to put this to put this podcast on an indefinite hiatus, since the, of course Rob and I do have other things we want to focus on. Yet, we don't know when we'll be coming back to producing more episodes. Hence, why I really want to ask... I really want to ask you guys, the audience, that if you really want if you really want us to continue this podcast series, please do us a massive favor and contact us via email or Twitter, giving us topics, giving us some more topics for us to talk about and maybe even news for us to cover related to the organ world or anything related to the uh anything related to the organ world that you would like us to cover our email and uh twitter information will be in the episode notes for you guys to look look it up so you guys can contact us for more info and even to give us suggestions of topics and news articles and whatever for us to for us to talk about to keep this podcast series going if you really want us to continue this series otherwise we're in an indefinite hiatus for the time being i believe you may have something to say uh regarding that rob yeah so um yeah i mean mostly just reiterating what johnny said you know um we'd love to hear from you guys we'd love your feedback um and ideas for um future shows we we have a couple ideas we've been tossing around um but we we have noticed that it, it it's been getting more difficult to to come up with topics this we've really enjoyed doing this last series this has been a lot of fun um you know but we we, we would love to we'd love to have input from from you our audience so you know um definitely drop us an email send us a tweet um let us know what you'd like to hear in future episodes um you know we're not we're not calling this an end we're just taking a, a break from it for now um just not sure when we're going to come back to it so um you know the the, the more feedback the more we hear from you guys the the sooner i'd say we would be back um you know but it all it all depends on what's going on in our lives we have a lot of we have a lot of other work that we are doing right now so um we've enjoyed making this i johnny i've had a ton of fun doing mm-hmm. this this podcast with you up to this point and yes learned a lot for sure <laughs> oh yes and also to quickly uh, bring up as well i don't remember if we've i don't remember if we uh, mentioned this already but I would remind I would love to remind you guys to also please share this podcast with others who yes. may enjoy this. Like honestly, word of mouth is the best word of mouth is by far the best way to spread spread the word with anything, especially our podcast. So please do your part to spread this podcast around so that we may eventually come back to do more episodes. It would be yep. very appreciated. Yep. If you do your part to spread spread this podcast to others via word of mouth. 
it'd be immensely appreciated as well. And so, this does conclude the mini-series of the Oregon Mavericks in History series, and also is, is a temporary uh, wrap-up as we temporarily close for an indefinite hiatus at this time. And so, with that being said, Mavericks, thank you all so much for being a part of this journey with this podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. And until we see you again, let's all do our part to keep organ music alive.